Sunday, January 28, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and we got a lot to get to because it was a, a good and interesting weekend of, of college basketball. But the biggest story in college basketball continues to, to center on Michigan State and less about what the Spartans are doing on the court than uh, what has happened away from the court. Uh, when we last recorded a podcast, it was a Friday afternoon, and it was in between uh, the Outside the Line story being published and Tom Izzo actually being asked about it, but he was asked about it Friday night, said mostly nothing, and then he was grilled earlier today after a win at Maryland by an Outside the Lines reporter. He declined to answer any questions, including a question about whether he regretted how he handled any allegations of sexual assault against people connected to his program, uh, specifically uh, Travis Walton. So, Norlander, let's start there. There's probably no perfect way for Tom Izzo to handle this situation, but how do you think Tom Izzo is handling this situation. He's not handling it quite well enough. Izzo is in a tough spot here. Um, let's perhaps get into some more detail in regard to Izzo now on this episode versus what we did on Friday when we were very much literally reacting in real time to the outside of the line story. It came out minutes before, if not a minute before we started recording. So um, I believe that Izzo wants to say more than he is being allowed to say right now. Um, and there are multiple uh, incidents of, of sexual or physical assault that he has to still answer to. Now, the Travis Walton specifically one is where Walton was alleged to have struck a woman in the face twice to the point where the woman who has gone on camera and given up her name uh, to say what had happened and she was diagnosed with a concussion after this happened in 2010. Now, after that happened, um, Walton remained on the staff. Um, do not he was uh, he was eventually not charged with any sort of uh, battery uh, charge. He was there was some littering charge that he ended up doing. He had a plea deal basically. And the question that was asked of Izzo this afternoon after the Maryland win was. Why did Walton leave when he left? Izzo initially responded, I don't know what you mean by that. He graduated. But there's uh, there's some detail in there, and there's a timeline that needs to be cleared up on it, uh, by Izzo and, and sooner rather than later because we still don't know if, if he left just when he wanted to leave or if at some point Michigan State, be that Izzo, former athletic director Mark Hollis, or anyone else, saw what Walton was involved in, because there's also another allegation that um, Walton was involved in a, in a sexual assault with other uh, players. Um, that still has not been... Um, there hasn't been a lot of clarity that's been brought uh, to light by that. Um, at this point, the public deserves to know more of what how it was handled on behalf of Michigan State's athletic department, Title IX office, um, and and Izzo and everyone. Um, so you have that. And then you have the the other issue with Keith Appling and Adrian Payne. Adrian Payne has now been uh, released from his two-way contract with the Orlando Magic. Appling continues to be behind bars. He didn't have a job to lose because he is uh, he was uh, charged with a gun charge uh, and sentenced. So, um, and, and interestingly enough, Appling did speak with outside the lines, and so did Walton, who said he does not remember hitting the woman, and did not. Uh, there was a there was an, a video that was posted online, and it was aired on television on Sunday, in which Walton. Uh, you can hear it in his voice. He expressed shock over being included in the allegations of uh, of sexual assault with two other players. Um, so, with all of this, uh, the the pain and the, the pain and the appling stuff played out back in 2010. There were no charges that were ever brought. Um, this was this was reviewed by by federal authorities, essentially, and charges could not be brought. So just because charges weren't brought doesn't mean that something really wrong and bad happened here. And the very nature of sexual assault, if not rape, is um, is one of the trickiest things to, to prosecute uh, because sometimes uh, the intentions of, of one person involved in this are 
in this case, you have three people involved in this incident. Um, uh, how they read a situation might not be how the woman reads a situation, or it might start uh, with a certain tone, and then things go too far too fast, and then by then... Um, the woman might feel trapped otherwise. It's obviously most people listening to this podcast are aware of just how um, how sensitive, how difficult, and the very nature of sexual assault um, leads to, in my opinion, is why there has been nationwide crises uh, involving athletic departments and colleges and fraternities and sororities everywhere. Um, we are like the, the phrase tip of the iceberg is so overused. This really is that, though. Um, I, I do feel if, I do feel Izzo wants to say more, and I think that he is being explicitly told not to. Because here's the thing, Izzo has a reputation for being not just uh, a fairly transparent person and a really good coach. He also has a reputation for laying down the law with his players uh, in myriad instances, kicking guys off teams, suspending them. He is not a coach that has a reputation for letting things slide um, by any means here. So to have that, and then you have these other instances that that have come to light, um, it's a little bit of a reckoning. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Izzo even can't help himself a little bit with what he said Friday and Sunday. He's not really given up a lot here. He said, obviously, I'm not going to resign. I'm not retiring. I'm going to uh, you know, continue to, uh, to pray and help the healing process with the survivors. Um, I think he needs to be using the words victims there. Um, but regardless of all that, uh, I, I'm not as inclined to kill Izzo the way a lot of people are. Uh, I understand where he's coming from. I still would like him to say a little bit more. He's indicating that more is going to eventually be coming, and I get that. Um, the public just deserves to know how how did you respond with Walton, Appling, and Payne? Um, what were the processes that went in place? Perhaps you didn't have a lot to do with this in terms of things that would have been reported to a police and the Title IX office at Michigan State and all that. And if that's the case, so be it. Uh, at the end of the day, you run your program. You're responsible for it. And even though there were no charges brought against uh, Appling and Payne at the time when they were incoming freshmen, um, you know, did you think about disciplining them in any way, or did you? This happened at the beginning of a semester. Games didn't start until, obviously, November that season. Were there any types of punishments? Do you not remember if there were? Um, he still is evading that, and I will admit that it is, uh, it's weird to watch Tom Izzo react the way that he has reacted on Friday and Sunday, uh, but I will come back to it is my belief that he wants to say more and is, is being told that he cannot and this is not something that's going to slow. I think that's the thing that Michigan State's uh, athletic department, Izzo, his staff, everyone with that program needs to realize is that this is going to continue. Questions are going to happen every time you go on the road. You're going to be facing a media from that specific contingent. You're going to have people dropping in. The The reporter with Outside the Lines had – Tisha Thompson, I believe, was the woman who asked these questions. They were outstanding questions, and they were questions that needed to be asked. And I don't want to hear from Michigan State fans that say after a game is not the time to ask them. No, actually, it is the only time to ask them because ESPN afforded Izzo a chance to respond to this stuff prior to and his athletic – Department, it declined, and so this is what you're going to get. And after a game, that's a public press conference. Credentialed media are allowed in, and these questions are absolutely deserving to be asked in that forum. Izzo can choose to respond however he'd like to, and so he has done that way. Um, and we just see how this will continue to become a story uh, this week and into the next until we get more of a, of a structured response from him or anyone with that athletic department. A few things here, um, and you're exactly right. It, it was the proper place to ask the question. The questions were direct, very specific, and totally appropriate. Um, sometimes people think that they can sidestep everything just by offering a no comment privately, you know, via email through a, a sports information director. We're not going to comment. Um, I think it is always worth using whatever opportunity you have to ask that same person those same questions that they've already declined to, to answer on camera. And the only place outside the lines was going to be able to get Tom Izzo on camera was at a press conference after a game um, that they were credentialed for. And so, okay, you can still no comment. That's fine. But we're going to make you do it on camera. We're going to make – and it's going to play however it plays. But it's going to be in rotation now 
for the next 24 hours. Those those words will be played on radio, and his his uneasiness with which he handled those questions will be on full display. The visual is important. So I saw some of that on Twitter as well. Like that, that wasn't the place. That's a hundred percent the place. And, um, and they were fair questions and they were direct questions and they were questions worth asking. Um, you mentioned, you, you think Tom should be using the word victim. I, I hear you. I, I, Either one works. He's just using survivor so much. Uh, it indicates, I, 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 it indicates I, someone did not survive. And uh, no, a, here's what I'm saying. I like. I think whether you listen to Ali Raisman or any of those women, for the most part, they all use the word survivor. I believe the 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 idea behind that is we're not victims. You didn't victimize us. We're survivors. We're gonna move on through this. I think it's. I I hear what you're saying. True. Yeah. But I think I think they it's weird prefer, to hear him say. I don't know. He keeps saying it over and over, as Clear, he should. Yeah, uh, clearly somebody has told him you use the word "survivors" yeah. because that's that's the word Ali Raisman is using. It's not the natural word to use, even on radio. Uh, sometimes, as over the past couple of weeks at, while discussing this, I've said "victim" and then and then rephrased it as "survivor" the next time. I think that is what they prefer. Either way, not a big deal. Um, the point you made about sexual assault being tricky to prosecute is 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 also a good point. Uh, it, most crimes. It's at least obvious that a crime was committed, and then and then you got to figure out who did it, right? If there's a murder, there's a body. If there's a bank robbery, like money's missing. Um, if there's a shooting, there's uh, somebody with a bullet inside of them. Um, with sexual assault, there's not always evidence that a sexual assault occurred. Sometimes there is, often there is, I guess, but not always. And it, it does it does often come down to. Uh, you know, two different people's perspective, uh, uh, perception of what happened. And they don't always uh, remember or even in real time uh, see things the exact same way. You know, the uh, Aziz Ansari story that broke a couple of weeks ago, like this woman clearly felt like he was putting her in a very difficult situation. He regrets that he said but i don't think he felt this that he was putting her in a in a difficult situation and so there's a breakdown there somewhere that we as people need to uh need to figure out we're probably getting better about it uh by the day um but you're exactly right these are difficult crimes to prosecute perhaps the most difficult and it's why um so many actual sexual assaults i believe do not go get prosecuted like just when you hear, well, charges weren't filed. That doesn't mean there wasn't a sexual assault. It means that um, a prosecutor has a ter- has determined, or an a- attorney general has determined, somebody has determined that okay, even if this happened, we can't prove it. We will not be able to uh, get a guilty verdict beyond a reasonable doubt. So, like, we can't go forward. We will not file charges. But that does not always mean that something didn't happen. So, whether it's Travis Walton or Adrian Payne or Keith Appling, even though charges were never filed, it doesn't mean that something. Uh, didn't happen. As for Tom and how the, he's handling this, um, I'll go back to what I said right at the start. I don't think there's a good way to handle this or perfect way. Um, because when you're asked if you have any regrets, I mean, you can ask that to any person about anything. Everybody has regrets, right? And so the, the honest answer there from Tom, who has spent a coaching career mostly uh, answering questions honestly, like whether they're about his team or a player or whatever. The honest answer from Tom is, of course, I have regrets about the way I handled situations. Um, yeah, like I, I clearly let somebody who was accused of punching a woman multiple times and concussing her still be around my program. Do I regret that? Of course I regret that, particularly when he went on to be accused of sexual assault. Yes, I regret that. The problem with acknowledging the truth publicly is that if you admit you regret something, you're admitting a mistake. And that's when people start calling for your head because even you admit you mishandled a, a, a situation of domestic violence or, um, or, or uh, physical violence or sexual assault. Um, what Tom did in 2010, 2000, whenever it was, let's just acknowledge he was wrong. Okay. Let, like, you should not let Travis Walton still be around your program and uh, Adrian Payne and Keith Appling proceeding 
their college careers without any known public discipline um, is wrong. Let's just let's just start there and agree on that. It it was also normal in that time, you know, for college coaches to respond that way. And you and I both expressed frustration with this on the last podcast. Like, why was it ever okay? Um, for you to play somebody who's been accused of sexual assault, for you to play somebody who's been accused of um, of, of punching a woman, except it, in in those years it was like totally normal. And I go back to a story when I was a beat writer at the Commercial Appeal Cover in the University of Memphis. It was 2005. I think Memphis fans will probably remember this, and almost nobody else will. There's a player named Jeremy Hunt a very good college basketball player. He was from Memphis, played at Memphis. And in January 2005, he was uh, charged with domestic violence because he beat the you-know-what out of his ex-girlfriend. I don't mean slapped her one time. I don't mean pushed her. I don't mean shoved her, pulled her. He beat her up, beat her up. It was on a Sunday night after a basketball game. And so he was, she called the cops, obviously, and, she, you know, he was arrested. I mean, the, the, like, she had a black eye, a cut lip. She was bruised. I saw her with my own eyes. I knew her because she used to be, she was a former Lady Tiger basketball player. And I reached out to her. She was totally in hiding and totally not commenting on anything because she was being, she was being the one attacked on message boards and stuff. You know, she was, I heard she did this and I heard she did that and I heard she's a this uh, of course, the the obvious um, you know response to that is so what 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 could she have possibly done? That's what I got. I got into an argument with an administrator at Memphis at the time. I said I don't care what she is or what she did. You tell me. Uh, let's just let's agree that she got beat up. Now you tell me what what she could have done to make that okay. There is nothing she she slept with all of his teammates behind his back. He can go beat her up. No, that's not okay. So like stop it with well she, you know well if she wouldn't have done this then. But either way, that's where we were. And I convinced her. I, I said, listen, you're, you're the one being attacked. People think you're lying. People think um, you, you might have deserved whatever happened to you. Let me come see you. So I went and saw her. And she was beat up. She looked like somebody who was beat up. And so Memphis, I think, a couple days later, had a game against Marquette. And obviously the press conference the day before the game was – uh, every you know, every television camera in town was there. Every reporter in town was there, and the question to John Calipari was very simple, because they had announced no discipline whatsoever on Jeremy Hunt, and so it was like, is Jeremy Hunt going to be suspended for tomorrow's game? He would not answer the question. He said, I don't know. You know, we'll we'll, we'll figure that out. You you can't right now, knowing that he, uh, there's evidence that he beat up. His ex-girlfriend, who is a former University of Memphis student, you can't at least say that he's suspended indefinitely for a, something. John was just totally dismissive. No, I don't know. We will do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. And at some point, Jeff Calkins kept asking the questions. He's the columnist at the Commercial Appeal. And John looked right into a television camera and said, does anybody want to talk about Travis Diener? As if to say, if you want to talk about the Marquette point guard, that's fine. But stop it with all these stupid questions about my player beating up a girl. My point is this. That was a big story locally. John got ripped for it locally. Jeff Caucus wrote a column saying if Jeremy Hunt plays against Marquette, every Memphis fan with any level of self-respect should get up and walk out of that building. It is insane that this is even a topic of conversation. But it wasn't on outside the lines. It didn't go anywhere. It wasn't a national story. And how about this? Jeremy Hunt ultimately missed two games for beating the crap out of his ex-girlfriend. He missed two games, and Memphis brought him back, and it wasn't a story outside of Memphis. My point being, if John Calipari had that same incident happen to one of his Kentucky players right now, and he said, does anybody have any questions about Travis Diener? He would be fired. That's the type of thing that would get you fired, being so dismissive of domestic violence. If you brought somebody like Jeremy Hunt back after two games, you would be on outside the lines. And it, you wouldn't have to be the Kentucky coach. You could still be the Memphis coach. It could happen anywhere, and that is no longer acceptable. Um, I agree. It should have never been acceptable, but it's definitely no longer acceptable. And so what has happened here 
and I don't even know if this is right or wrong. I just feel like it's true. We're, uh, the, the people who are calling for Tom Izzo's head now are holding him to a 2018 standard over things that happened in 2010. And though we, again, both believe he mishandled them in 2010, it was kind of normal for college coaches to do what he did in 2010. It didn't stand out as any different than any number of coaches would have done. Does that make sense? Like, there, like I guess here's what I'm saying. There are, there are words in 2018 that we cannot say anymore without like getting in trouble that were totally socially acceptable to say in 2010, or certainly when you and I were children. When I was a kid, we played a game called Smear the Queer. That was the game. Somebody ran around with a football and everybody else would try to tackle him. It was called Smear the Queer. You couldn't play Smear the Queer today. Like The, the, the world has changed, and what was – should have never been okay, but was kind of normal in 2010 is no longer normal. And I think Tom has just found himself right in the middle of that. He has. I would expect I would expect more movement on this story by the time we do the next podcast. And we will continue to uh, discuss it and pass along any information that listeners might need. If, uh, if you use this podcast, not only as a resource... Uh, for college basketball uh, nonsense and and general banter, but uh, for general news as well. Uh, We'll continue to do that. I would think our next podcast at the earliest, barring major news breaking uh, in the next 48 hours or anything, I think we'll maybe Tuesday night, if not Wednesday morning. We'll see where we go from there. Um, But this isn't going to slow down. I would think on Monday... um, uh, important people at Michigan State will get together and they will have their meetings and they will discuss and lawyers will be involved and we'll find out more from there. Um, but this is obviously an evolving story. Uh, let's talk basketball. Uh, Virginia won at Duke on Saturday and now the Cavaliers are 20-1 and overall. Uh, they're 9-0 and in the ACC. They have a two-game lead in the loss column of the ACC standings. And you have proclaimed Matt Norlander Tony Bennett, the, quote, landlord of the ACC. Any pushback from Duke or UNC fans on, the, oh, on that without, label? Without, a, without question, because <laughs> this landlord has not made uh, the Final Four. So. I heard that. I heard that. So, um, so people got issues. But here's the deal, man. Virginia won the ACC on Saturday. No one's catching this team. They're going to finish top the standings for the third time in five seasons. And that was a really impressive win um, and a fairly good game uh, at Duke, a 65-63 victory. Virginia's now 20-1. and Their only loss came on the road to West Virginia. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, Man, it, it it is it is fascinating to watch this team because I understand like the the way they play isn't appealing to a lot of people. But as I wrote in my column, like if you think it's dull, that's fine. But it, you also then have to admit it's kind of soul crushing the way that they were able just to just take teams out of what they want to do every single time without question. We're talking about a Duke team number one in the country in points per game had hit eighty or more basically in all but what four games maybe if that this season. They can't even get to 64 points on their own home floor. It was really impressive. And Bennett has eight more wins than Roy Williams and nine more wins than Mike Krzyzewski in league play since the start of the 2014-2015 season, Um, obviously on his way to more league championships than anyone else in that time span as well. Uh, This is his league now. Uh, If you want to speak strictly in terms of regular season performance, what he has done is, is truly amazing. And I know Villanova got that win, um, a close one. We thought Marquette was going to pull it off straight up. Did not, but uh, Villanova got that win. So now you've got 221 teams atop the polls. Certainly they'll stay that way on Monday. Nova and Virginia both 20-1. and one. Um, I know you got thoughts on Virginia Duke, and I'll, just, I'll close with this here. I would still take Villanova just – here's the thing. Like I look at both teams. I think Villanova is a better team. If you made me pick that game gun to my head on a neutral floor, I think I would take Virginia to win uh, in a one-game scenario. But it's it's been pretty amazing to see this team uh, do what they've done and uh, clearly the ACC's best by far. I will write another Politex column on Monday afternoon, and it will have nothing to do with how people rank Villanova and Virginia one or two. Um, if you want to move Virginia to number one based on what they've done, I mean, they've you know, win at Duke, be careful. I mean, they're just killing everybody. Only loss, of course, being at West Virginia. Um, it's fine with me. Like you, you can reasonably uh, make a case for for Virginia to be number one right now. I simply 
had decided a long time ago, once somebody becomes number one in the top 25 and one, I don't drop them unless they lose. So I realized that we could get to a point based on league affiliation. One team plays in the ACC, the other plays in the Big East, where Virginia clearly has a better one-loss resume than Villanova. Um, but as long as Villanova is on is a one-loss team, I, I, I will keep them number one in, in, until they lose. But again, Virginia is fabulous, and if you want Virginia number one, it's it's fine with me. I wrote a column about it, about them. Uh, in advance of Saturday's game, not knowing whether they would win or lose, obviously, but sort of it didn't matter because they could have lost on Saturday and they would have still had a, a the resume of a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That's how good they've been. But then they go and win it. So now, like I said, they're 21 overall, uh, overall 9-0 in the ACC. And the point of the column was basically, okay, remember how I used to treat Bo Ryan in Wisconsin when I just said probably around 2010, uh, I'll never not rank Wisconsin, coached by Bo Ryan um, in the preseason top 25 and one. I don't care who's on the roster. I don't care who they lose. I don't care who they bring in. Long as Bo Ryan is coaching Wisconsin, uh, they're in the preseason top 25 and one every single year. And that approach, like, never made me look stupid because Bo always had a top 25 team and they never finished outside of the top four uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, here we are with Tony Bennett. I think it's time to, to make the same deal with him. As long as Tony Bennett's coaching Virginia, uh, they'll be in the preseason top 25 and one every year because we didn't have them there um, in this preseason. Neither did the AP poll, neither did the coaches poll. And obviously that looks that looks wrong now. So I went and looked it up. And here's the past five years, including this season. Uh, Virginia finished number four at Ken Palm in 2014, number six in 2015, number four in 2016, number 12 in 2017. And they are right now number two at Ken Palm. And in that span, Virginia has had zero top 20 national recruits and zero top 20 NBA draft picks. How about this? The highest rated prospect in this five-year span to play for Virginia? Actually, Austin Nichols, who played one game for Virginia last year, and then he was dismissed from the team, and it didn't matter. Like, they lost their most talented player last year, and it did not matter. They were still good. And so it just doesn't seem to matter, which is not to suggest they don't have talent. I mean, they do have a McDonald's All-American. I think they got five top 100 guys. But they don't have, you know, I don't know that there's a first-round draft pick on that team. Uh, I do know that there was no top 20 recruit on that team. Um, but they're operating like like the best team in the country, which is it's it's been interesting to watch. And it's why so many people you know, think Tony Bennett does have an NBA future if he wants it. Obviously, he'd have to change some things about the way he plays, uh, but the, 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 the basketball, like, mind is there. The ability to teach and develop is there. I think it was two summers ago we asked, uh, you know, more than 100 college coaches for our Candid Coaches Series, who is the next college coach to go to the NBA? And if I remember correctly, it, the, Tony got the most votes. Let me is that right? Now. Talk it out. I'm looking that up right now. Yeah, I believe it was because I remember writing that the 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 words for that piece, and I remember talking to Tony about it. <laughs> I remember writing the words for that. Well, piece. I, I, Here we go. I'm bringing. Well, it, I'm bringing it. Well, up. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say I remember writing the column. No, I, I wrote it. Uh, first of all, I wrote it. it says, you wrote it. Yeah. 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 And no, then what was I talking to Tony Bennett about? Uh, I have no idea. But I had a conversation. I'm scrolling with Tony down. Oh, wow. what's going on here? No. Uh, w this is from 2016. Fake news, Parish. What happened? 2016. Did I just make something right. up? Uh, t uh, here, here we go. You ready for this? The question mm -hmm. was, man, this is something. Which active college coach is best suited and most likely to next jump to the NBA? Here's the results. Mm -hmm. Six coaches. Pop quiz time. Oh, wow, okay. Bennett is on the list, but he did not win. Who won? Did I write it or not? No, I wrote it. Did, why did I talk? I talked to Tony Bennett about something. It's not relevant right now. Who won the poll? I'm, I bet you the listeners will not get this. Maybe some. Who won no the poll? No cheating. No cheating. I'm not going to cheat, I, but I am going to look at a list of basketball teams so I can just – like. Boom, 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 boom. I'm going through. I'm going through. This is August of 2016. We would have pulled these coaches in July. Okay. I'm going to try to name them on the list. Bill Self. Yes. Second. Okay. 17%. Okay. 
Tony uh, Bennett, you know, is on the list. Last eight yes. percent, sixth slash last. Uh, John Calipari, third on the list, sixteen percent. You're three for three. Can you get the next three in six guesses? Jay Wright, correct. Fourth on the list, sixteen percent. Two other coaches. I think you will need at least four guesses to get these two coaches. Okay. I'm Although looking. I'm kind of tipping my hand a little bit by saying that. Let me see. Going through a list here. Just looking at names I of coaches. I have no way of, of proving if he's not looking at this. I swear right to now. God on all of my children that I'm not looking at. I'm not. I, well, I, I, I mean, I, I just wouldn't say that if I were actually. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to like. I'm not going to mess with karma that much. Um, Shaka Smart. Yes, he's on the list. Fifth. I just remember. I thought I remembered him being Fifth on there at nine percent. Okay. Um, I did not think you were going to get Shaka that fast. Mm, how many more do I have? You need one more. Man, I don't know. Let me keep. He won the poll. I can't even think of the guy who won the poll. Um. I'm looking. I'll get... Who is it? Not him. Uh... I've already said Calipari, right? You have. I wonder if anyone listening is like, this is going to be the coach, and they're going to be right. Let me keep looking. Is it? Uh... Is it Sean Miller? Sean Miller received votes, was not the winner. Son of a. I. I do not know. Give me one. Give me at least one more guess. Okay. Other coaches that receive votes, I could see you potentially. Uh, one of them that received votes, you're not going to guess because you wouldn't think that he would have won the poll. The other one, neither. You, you wouldn't have think he would have won the poll either. This is this is great to look at in retrospect. So it was two. Is he, is the, is the guy now in the NBA? No. Okay. 2016. Yeah. Um We are I'm, only a year and a half removed from this poll. This is amazing. Yeah, but uh, but I have a terrible I have a terrible no, memory. Give me one more guess. This is amazing I, podcasting right now. <laughs> I I don't know. I just I don't know. I'll go with um did I say Mike Krzyzewski? You did not. I'll say Mike Krzyzewski. No. I didn't think that was it. It is insane to me how fast the world can change in a year and a half. You know who won this poll? No. Kevin Ollie. Oh, my God. <laughs> 20% of the vote. Kevin Ollie won. It's amazing. How about that? That's how amazing. About that? Well, what we do you think I talked – do, do you think I'm making up a conversation I had with Tony Bennett? I think there's a 54.369% chance you are. There is a 100% chance that I talked to Tony Bennett about his future, about about maybe coaching in the NBA someday. Maybe he won a different one. Like, who would you want your son to play for? And he maybe he won that one. And I was talking to him about that. And I said, oh, by the way, you also finished, like, top whatever. Yeah. And that might have been it. I could be making that up, too, though. I don't know. Either way, he's got a hell of a basketball team right now. I think that was our initial point. He does. Um, <laughs> and, and this is – and finally, we talked about Virginia on the podcast. I get tweets from Virginia fans every once in a while. They're like, hey, I appreciate you uh, spending two minutes on the uh, Cavaliers today on the podcast. They're only ranked this number two in the country. The month. We're not talking about it, them for a long time now. <laughs> like one, one, guy was like, uh, one guy was like, so are you telling me Kentucky being disappointing is more important than the number two team in the country when the number two team in the country is Virginia? And I'm like, well, I mean, for the purposes of a podcast that we want people to listen to, yeah, uh, Kentucky struggling is more interesting for podcast material than uh, than Virginia just being uh, consistently awesome. But uh, uh, I made a note. We were going to talk Virginia today. Uh, the Cavaliers are awesome. We both agree. If people want to rank them number one in the country, that's fine with me. Speaking of Kentucky. And school's uh, name with Virginia in their name. And schools with Virginia in their name. Kentucky came from behind to win at West Virginia on Saturday night. 
Um, I'll be honest, I didn't see much of it because I was leaving FedEx Forum and getting back um, to a hotel and getting settled, and I, I, I saw I saw the end, but I didn't see a whole bunch of, of the actual game. But when I first saw the score, it was like, okay, West Virginia's up 10. Yeah, it makes sense. West Virginia's up double digits. Yeah, this is, I guess this is the way it's going to go. And then next thing I heard was, and Kentucky takes the lead. I'm like, what in the world? There is nothing about anything uh, on Kentucky's resume that suggested it should be able to come from behind from a massive deficit and beat West Virginia on the road. Like there's nothing they've done all year long that suggested that's what they were about to do. And yet they did it. I mean, that was, I think in terms of big developments, the most surprising development of the weekend. It was uh, the most meaningful win, the biggest win, uh, you know, I think, you know, in terms of the toughest win statistically, maybe Virginia winning at Duke uh, just because the, the opponent. And West Virginia's in a tailspin. They've dropped four or five. This was a team that was 15-1, and one, was discussed as the team that was going to take the Big 12 reins away from Kansas. Now they're 5-3 and three in the league. Obviously, the Kentucky loss is not within the league. Um, and they are blowing double-digit second-half leads. So just a quick thing on West Virginia. This is bizarre they have gone from a top five defense to dropping out of that they're ranked 16th at Ken Palm right now um their inability to create offense uh with basically anyone not named uh Javon Carter is definitely uh, a big time issue here and like Iowa State's way down but West Virginia's got to go play at Iowa State on Wednesday and losing a game like this to Kentucky is demoralizing don't let this thing really get ugly on it on you in a hurry here, uh, Mountaineers, because it's uh, it's weird. Having said all that, like I still, they'll be no matter what seed they end up with in the NCAA tournament. Like you'll have to look long and hard at like how deep you want to put this uh, Mountaineers team in the bracket because they do have that capability because of their style. It's so hard to emulate. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Kentucky, we were both so wrong. Got to eat a ton of crow here. We thought this would be a double-digit um, you know, difference at the end of the game in favor of West Virginia. Instead, Kevin Knox has his best game of his college career. I've said on this podcast, I've written it uh, multiple times on the site, in order for Kentucky to be at its absolute best, Kevin Knox has to be at his absolute best and be looking like you know a borderline All-America type player. He looked like that on Saturday night. A career-high 34 points. Um, and I think only Diallo, who had maybe 12 or 13, was the only other player in double figures in scoring for Kentucky. But the team did well in transition. They looked downright competent on defense. And this was a second-half surge. I mean, if you watched that game in the first half, it looked like the way everyone thought it was going to be going. Obviously huge for Kentucky here. Resume building that if if West Virginia can write itself, that it'll look good no matter what because winning on the road and West Virginia is going to be a tournament team. But if this is the last loss for a while for the Mountaineers in one way or another, that would actually really really help Kentucky's seed situation. Uh, we had him as a six. Jerry Palm did in bracketology heading into the weekend. I'd say if we if we built the bracket now, they're definitely um, they got to be up to a five thanks to this win. I don't know if it signals um, a, a serious pivot for this team this season. We'll see. They should beat Vanderbilt at home on Tuesday. They go on the road at Missouri next weekend. It remains to be seen uh, how they're going to do overall. So I'm not going to overreact and say, oh, here we go. They've arrived. Not necessarily, but I am certainly impressed uh, with the way that they were able to win on the road. Yeah, three of their next five, I believe, are, are road games, and they are road games against top 50 Ken Palm teams. So like a bumpy little stretch is is still possible, if not likely, um, I made the same point uh, earlier today that, that you just made. Like, I'm not sure everything's fixed, but um, what a win, what a comeback. And the way it happened, like, again, what, there, nothing on Kentucky's resume suggests that was a likely scenario. Um, first off, they're, they've been totally mediocre on the road, like really have accomplished nothing on the road. So then they go down double digits on the road. Like, that that's not the team that comes back. Um, they – don't shoot the ball well from three-point range. I think they're like in the 160s in the country. So you can't really expect them to get hot from beyond the arc, except like they shot the ball well from three-point range at West Virginia. And then uh, they their offensive turnover percentage was in the 20s before yesterday's game. Um, they rank outside of the top 240 in the country in offensive turnover percentage. They give the ball away. So – you just assume they're going to give the ball away. They only had 16 turnovers against West Virginia. 
you know, that's that's a good number against West Virginia. And so what an incredible like win again of, of you know, Virginia winning at Duke was way easier to envision than than Kentucky winning at West Virginia. And so, um, yeah, big, big victory. And once again, Kentucky is is perhaps, uh, you know, rounding into form. They've done this before where late January, mid February. Um, you know, they, they start to quiet a, a lot of the concerns about them. It was just a week ago we were talking about, man, is Kentucky headed for the bubble? And they still might, but uh, right now they wouldn't be anywhere close to the bubble. Uh, they got that big signature uh, win that their their resume had lacked before um, before Saturday night. Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring, just posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew, always knew there was a smarter way. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. And these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter, they get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. That's usually all it takes. And ZipRecruiter, it doesn't just stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so that you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, uh, listeners of this podcast, the Ion College Basketball Podcast, uh, you can try ZipRecruiter uh, Zip for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com. Slash Ion. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Ion. Ziprecruiter.com slash Ion. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. NC State got a nice win, went into Chapel Hill and uh, beat the Tar Heels. This is a team that uh, was picked outside of the top 10, I believe, in the preseason ACC media poll. A team that only won four ACC games last season. They already got five ACC wins right now. Their resume includes three wins over top 15 schools. They have beaten Arizona on a neutral court. They have beaten Duke and Raleigh, and they beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, I, I know that what Tony Bennett's done is amazing, and and probably he's the front runner for ACC Coach of the Year, if not National Coach of the Year. Uh, but if somebody wanted to make an argument for Kevin Keats, I'll listen to him. Yep, they also defeated Clemson. Uh, I wrote right. uh, that NC State, uh, this win can be the thing that propels it to the NCAA tournament. Wolfpack are going to have a really fascinating case if their games break as they're expected to because their non-conference schedule is atrocious even though they have the win over Arizona in there. And they've got a just-whatever win over Penn State that really I don't think is going to help them all that much. Otherwise, uh, they got a lot of teams in the 300s in that non-con, and that's going to hurt them as it should because uh, the committee should be holding teams accountable for how they, they schedule in the non-con. And by the way, I don't even blame Keats for this. You take over a program, you don't know how it's going to go year one, never will fault uh, a major coach for scheduling easy in year one inside uh, a power conference school just because it can be a really tough transition, particularly if you've never held a job like that before. Now, Keats worked under uh, Patino at Louisville. He had been in the, <laughs> you know, been in the machinations of, of that. But prior to this, you know, he was coaching in the, in the CAA. And, he, you know, it, it's a whole new world. So you get the one-year pass from me to schedule like this. Don't want to see it next year from NC State. Um, what will be interesting is if they don't, if this is – it's a great road win. And they won at Pitt, which they'll, you know, that's a, just barely worth anything. But it is a road win. If they don't win on the road again, they have at Virginia Tech, at Syracuse, at Wake, and at Georgia Tech. I would argue if you're an NCAA tournament team, you get at least one of those on the road, if not two. If they don't, if they lose all those road games and they win all their home games, then they're going to be a fascinating bubble case. We'll have to take a uh, assessment of of the teams around them uh, at that point as we head into the ACC tournament. But what's undeniable is that if they are on a collision course with being in that group of four to six teams that are sitting right there on the fence, just in, just out, they will have better wins, I can guarantee you. There will not be another team that is going to be able to claim the upper echelon victories that they have. And they only have two shaky losses against Greensboro at home, and they weren't at full strength there. We'll see how much the committee does or doesn't evaluate on there. And then they lost to Northern Iowa. That's a, that's one that's really going to stink on them. So um, I'm fascinated with the Wolfpack. If they can play to 
their expectations and get at least one, if not two, wins in the ACC tournament. I'd probably put them in. We'll circle back in three or four weeks. But that was a huge – that was almost as big uh, as Kentucky's. I had to put it just a uh, notch below. And that was also the best-played, most entertaining game of the weekend, the uh, Wolfpack beating the Tariels. My guess would be NC State enters the ACC tournament with a very real chance to go to the NCAA tournament. Like five of their last nine regular season games are at home. Um, so that's that's better than the alternative. And, um, I mean, uh, bubble teams. Like when we are looking at them every year, it's like, okay, who is this team beaten? Who is this team beaten? NC State's going to be the king of that, like you pointed out. Like uh, on Selection Sunday or certainly heading into that day, um, as long as they don't – they just don't completely fall apart, they're going to have better wins than any other – than most, I, I I think probably all, but let's just say most bubble teams, and um, that's a good thing to have. You know as well as I do. The committee, I think Jay Billis has made this point a million times. Um, everybody can lose to good teams. Anybody can do that. Can, who can you beat? Well, you know, we're trying to put teams in this thing that can actually like go somewhere. Who can you beat? Who have you beaten? Well, NC State can say we've beaten Duke, we've beaten North Carolina, we've beaten Arizona. At this moment, that's three top fifteen teams. It's three preseason top ten teams. Um, those are going to hold up well, and if Kevin Keats is able to take uh, the Wolfpack to the NCAA tournament in year one, um, given what um, you know, the, the let's just say mess that he inherited, uh, that would be quite quite an accomplishment, worthy of of con- strong consideration for ACC Coach of the Year, and uh, and put him on the list for for National Coach of the Year uh, as well. Before we get out of here, let's look ahead a little bit. A couple of interesting games over the next couple of nights. Uh, Monday night, you get Kansas at Kansas State. The Big 12 showdown. Who you got, Norlander? Kansas. The the Uh, Jayhawks on the road. Yeah, give me the Jayhawks on the road. If they lose here, uh, then we got got something interesting again brewing in those league standings. Um, I'll I'll take Kansas. I really want to see him in a close game here because I want to see what Self does with Yudoka Azapuki in that situation. Who you got? Right. Yeah, I think Kansas wins on on the road. Like if you can go win at West Virginia, I, I think you can win at Kansas State. They probably are going to be just a slight favorite, but let's be clear, that, that nothing crazy about Kansas State beating them in that building. Um, done it before. Um, we'll do it again, and it could come as as soon as as Monday night. But if you force me to pick one or the other. I'd probably just go with uh, I go with the Jayhawks on the road in a close, um, close game. Uh, Tuesday night, a couple of interesting games uh, for for different reasons. One's between two top twenty-five teams. Uh, North Carolina is at Clemson. Let's focus on that one first. Um, one of my favorite sayings that a coach told me one time that I can't remember who said it, but it's always oh, stuck wow. with me. Okay. Maybe it was Tony. Might have been Tony Bennett. I think it was Tony Bennett. Actually, <laughs> it might have been Tony Bennett. I don't actually don't think it was Tony Bennett, but I have no idea who it was. A guy said, "You never want to lose a game you're supposed to win before you have to play a game that you're supposed to lose, because that's how you end up on losing streaks." And North Carolina is exactly in that in that spot. They have now lost two games in a row that they were supposed to win at Virginia Tech at NC I mean at home against NC State and now they're on the road at Clemson in a game where they're going to be underdog. So this is this falls into that category. They've lost a game they were supposed to win uh, right before they have to play a game they're they're supposed to lose. Uh, we could be really looking at a three-game losing streak for Roy Williams team. We could if that happens uh, they'll be 16 and 7. And then they've they've played a good schedule, but I mean I don't know if I'd have them as above. I uh, I don't think you can give them even as like a six seed at that point if they drop that game. Like trivia time. Okay. Last time North Carolina lost three straight games. Uh, why do I? Th- First of all, someone asked me. On, I'm going to answer the question, but someone asked me on Twitter as uh, as actually UNC was in the process of maybe losing to NC State. And the Virginia game was coming. They were like, hey, when do you think the last time uh, UNC and Duke lost on the same day was? And I didn't respond because I was like, oh, because Palmer is actually really good at that. There's, he's got something in his database that allows him to look up that kind of stuff. Um, and I was like, I'll wait to see if, if one, UNC loses, and then if Duke. And so eventually that obviously comes to be. And I quote tweeted, I was like, I feel like this happened like in the past two years because there, there was something like, 
I don't know if it was obviously it wasn't Duke and UNC losing at home on the same day, but it was almost like Duke, UNC, and Kentucky when they were in the top ten all lost on the same day. Like something weird like that happened within the past two or three seasons. This, this so, whole podcast has turned into us just talking about things we might remember. Crazy, right? It's 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 <laughs> it's, it's it's just a bastion of knowledge here and and fact checking. So as you say this, I feel like UNC in the past three seasons had a bad skid like this. So I'm going to say February of 2015 was the last time it happened. It was January of 2014. They lost three straight games at Wake Forest, home against Miami, then at Syracuse. That dropped them to 10-6 and overall and 0-3 in the ACC. Uh, but they rallied, finished 13-4 and in the ACC, and then, of course, they lost in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Iowa State. There we go. And, by the way, UNC and Duke lost on Saturday at home for the first time, as many people have probably seen, since 1973, Parrish was only four years old when that happened. Ridiculous. I was four years from being born when that happened. Did you say so? My, that's the year my parents graduated I'm a high Parrish school. Parrish age truther. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the year my parents graduated high school, 1973. South Haven High School, class of 1973. My mom Bulldogs. was the – No, the Chargers. South Haven Chargers. Yeah, I know. Class I'm of just, 1973. Just, go Bulldogs, that's all. Trivia time. Round three. So my 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 mom was my mom was vice president of her high school class. Are you gonna Sa- do trivia about your mother with me right now? Yes, that's what I was hoping for. Guess who was the president of her high school class? My mom was the vice president of her high school class. Guess who was president of my mom's high school class? I have senior a, class. I have a bonus trivia question here. Okay. <laughs> Guess which presidential candidate my father went to the high school with? They both attended the, the same high school at the same time. Oh, Joe Biden. No. But you're kind of on the right track. Yeah, I don't know. Can you at least guess one more time? When I say you're kind of on the right track. Sure. Oh, uh, Bernie Sanders. No. Okay. I don't know. Hillary Rodham Clinton. How about that? She wasn't Clinton at the same time. Yeah, I think she was two grades above him. So he's two years younger than Hillary. But anyway, you asked me who my the... mother. My mother was vice president of her senior class. Right, would I know? School. Do I know who this person is? Yes. By the way, my father's high school, Maine South, I believe, in Chicago. Um, are they in sports? No. Are they alive? Yes. Have they been in the news cycle in the past 12 months? Perhaps, but nothing nothing notable. Like, a uh, person has not been accused of, like, sexual misconduct or anything. Man or woman? Man. Can you give me one more hint that would allow me to actually make a guess? Um, he's a writer. I'll say, uh, I'll say Stephen King. John Grisham. Okay, I was kind of, I was kind of in, you know, that's pretty cool, man. John Grisham, when I, a really good writer. Did, when I was a kid, he was just Mr. John, like he he was always around. My mother helped him typeset. Whatever the first book was. I think it was The Firm. For listeners that might like Grisham and GP, I'm going to recommend this to you. There's a, there's a long-form podcast, and like six months ago, Grisham did an interview and talked about how he basically almost didn't even get into writing. It was super fascinating, uh, and he gets into his pro- writing process and stuff. That's really cool. I never knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, yep. he, was, he was president, and my, uh, my mother was vice president. Like I, was a, I, I don't want to say I was, he was like at the house all the time when I was a kid, but he was around. Like, hey, uh, Mr. John's coming over. We're cooking out with Mr. John, some stuff like that. And then I, like, I haven't seen him in 20 years probably. <laughs> but um, but it, it was I – rem- I, the, the one thing I do remember is I was talking to Tony Bennett about it one time. Um, I'm kidding. My mom came to me and I was just, I was a child. I didn't understand anything that was happening. Like I didn't understand that the firm was a big deal. Like I, I just knew Mr. John's book was doing okay. But my mom came to me and said, you know, Tom Cruise is going to, they're making a movie of, of Mr. John's book and Tom Cruise is going to be the, in it. And I was like, get out of here. They're not putting Tom Cruise in Mr. John's movie. And then there it was. And they filmed it in Memphis. How about that? Pretty cool. Hey, who's winning, Clemson or North Carolina? <laughs> that was a fun tangent. Uh, I'm sticking with the Blue Bloods. I took Kansas on the road, and I will take UNC as well. I'm going to take UNC to win on the road. 
Um, I, I, I just think Clemson losing and full disclosure, like as we're recording this, Clemson is playing Georgia Tech right now. I think they're down a bucket at the half. Uh, so they might come back and win, or they could lose. I have no idea. It's going to be one of those two. You are correct. <laughs> it's definitely going to be one of those two. Um, but I just think, I mean, they lost their second leading score. That matters. And uh, though they are ranked in the top 20 right now, I'm not sure they're one of the 20 best teams when they are missing such a key piece. And so uh, I'll go with North Carolina on the road to avoid that three-game losing streak. And the last game, Tuesday night game, I want to touch on before we get out of here, um, Auburn at Ole Miss. And I don't really care about the game that much because, like, whatever – but Auburn is 19-2. and two. They won again over the weekend, absolutely smashed LSU. This coming after midweek, they went to Missouri and smashed Missouri on the road. 19-2 and two overall, 7-1 and one in the SEC, alone atop the league standings, despite the fact that they lost two key players to the FBI investigation in the preseason. I don't know that there's a more – as surprised as we can be by Virginia being ranked number two – or Texas Tech being in the top 10, or wh- whatever it is that it surprises you. I don't know that there's anything more surprising than Auburn being 19-2 and overall, 7-1 and in the SEC. Um, after like not being picked to finish very high in the SEC anyway, and that's before they lost two key players to the FBI investigation. I don't know there's anything more surprising than this. Like Bruce has got... And it's not like they're just winning. The, they, I mean, they're smashing people. Beat Georgia by 14. Beat Missouri by 18. Beat LSU by 25. Um, you know, they, they lost just before that a game at Alabama. But, like, Oklahoma just lost a game at Alabama. And I know Colin Sexton played in this one, didn't play in that one. But whatever. Everybody's losing road games. Uh, it's a hell of a resume and a hell of a job Bruce is doing. Yeah, this is ridiculous. They don't have Austin Wiley. They don't have D'Angelo Purifoy. You could easily make the case that those would be two of their three best players if they were actually eligible and playing the season without him. They've done the indescribable here. Bruce would obviously uh, claim that that famous year. Uh, actually, are we at the – yeah, we're 10 years now removed from Tennessee, uh, getting yep. to number one in the rankings. I think that that's his crown jewel of a season so far. This one is on its way there for a lot of reasons, some of them good, some of them obviously not. I I I thought they were going to drop it at Missouri. Like I felt like they were going to return to earth a little bit here, but they're so much better than Mississippi. Like they're playing at Ole Miss on Tuesday. I cannot take the Rebels to win that game. Um I'm going to take Auburn. <laughs> and with a win like just with a win there, they'll get to eight and one in the league, twenty and two overall. I, if they win that, in my opinion, Florida's the only team that can realistically catch the Tigers, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. It's uh, it's it's certainly fascinating, and I mean, I wrote a story like a month ago on, on more than that, like five weeks ago on like Auburn's surprising start. They've been better than people realized. And that just has not stopped at the time. Bruce was like, I'm worried about league play. We'll just see if we can really continue to have the legs here. They have. This is. Uh, there's a lot more to tell with the story in many ways. Uh, on the floor, it's been, it's been amazing to see. And uh, we'll see if they can keep it up. I think they will in the short term. Yeah, they've already won at Murray State. They've already won at Tennessee. They've already won at Mississippi State. They've already won at Missouri. Um, all of those are better road victories than winning at Ole Miss would be. So they like they've done this before. Um, they've been really good away from home. I, I think they've only got the one home the the one road. I think they're well, let me just look one two three four five and one on the road so far. Lone loss coming at Alabama. So yeah, I think they go to Oxford and probably get that done. And they move to twenty and two overall, um, uh, eight and one in the SEC. And you know we were talking about ACC Coach of the Year earlier, and you could break that down a variety of ways or at least multiple ways you could make an argument for Kevin Keats you could make an argument for Tony Bennett uh, in the SEC right now uh, w- with all due respect to, to what Rick Barnes has done at Tennessee which has also been fabulous uh, I don't I don't think you can go with anybody other than Bruce Pearl given all of the circumstances that surrounded um, this season getting started and, and that he's sitting here on January 28th uh, with that record and with the ranking um, that at least he has in the top 25 when one right now. I've got him 10th, and I think they've got a chance to be in the top 10 of the AP poll when that is updated 
uh, on Monday afternoon. We'll see. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. And please remember to go subscribe to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. That's all we ask. We will sit here and play trivia three times a week through the end of the season. We'll quote stories that may or may not be accurate. We'll remember things that may or may not have really happened. All we ask in return is that you go subscribe to the podcast and you rate it favorably and you write nice things. So please go do that, and we will talk to you again uh, either Tuesday night, I'd imagine more likely Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.